to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 83 of the podcast. And I have a great one for you today, folks. Uh, welcome. Welcome, everyone, to, what is it, week nine in the semester? So uh, we're, we're over the hump now. And I can say we are into the, uh, the, I wouldn't say the final stretch, but we're into some kind of stretch. And um, it might be a good week to be talking about mindfulness strategies. And if you have no idea what the hell that means, uh, you are in for a treat today because I have a great interview for you, bringing to you Dr. Holly Rogers from Duke University. And I think we had a great discussion. I actually recorded this interview today, earlier today. So it is uh, fresh off the presses and uh, totally current and up to date. And uh, I'm not going to uh, bore you with any more of me um, because I want to uh, really get into this interview. So take it away, Derek and Dr. Rogers. I am here today uh, with Dr. Holly Rogers of Duke University. And I'm really excited to have you on the College Student Success Podcast. Welcome to the show today. Thanks. I'm very happy to be here. So yeah, a little bit of the uh, behind the scenes uh, update for this for the listeners. I, I don't usually do this, but I I find it important because I think it teaches a life lesson. Um, so I was always, you know, I've, as I, students know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I've always been mindful over the years of being really on top of getting good quality podcast interviews. And, you know, safeguarding them because I hear stories of other podcasters having bad quality issues and, and losing uh, interviews. And, and lo and behold, this actually happened the first time around I interviewed Dr. Rogers. So I'm extremely grateful for you to come back and re-record with me. And uh, the, the lesson here is that, uh, you know... <laughs> Don't have those thoughts uh, because eventually something like this will happen to you uh, and you will probably need things like mindfulness strategies to get you through it. So thank you very much for coming back, Dr. Rogers. I am happy to be back. Thank you. So let's get right into it. Um, I definitely want uh, the audience to hear a little bit about you, um, some of your background, uh, how'd you get to Duke, how'd you get into mindfulness, how did you get into mindfulness for college students specifically, because that's really the, um, the reason I had reached out to you in particular. I work as a psychiatrist in Duke Students Counseling Center, and that means that I help Duke students, undergraduates, graduates, and professional students, when they come to the counseling center and they are seeking help with stress or worry, depression, anxiety, any sort of psychological challenges. Uh, so in my role in the counseling center, um, I mostly do psychiatry, but years ago, because of my own practice of mindfulness, I began to get interested in using mindfulness and meditation to help the students. And over the years, have developed a program that we call KORU that is specifically designed to teach college and graduate students mindfulness, because I believe it's really helpful for them. Yes, I do too. And I think it's great that it's being stressed, at least in your counseling center. Uh, I know most schools have, you know, a counseling center. I just wonder how much they do emphasize things like mindfulness over, you know, other more traditional 
types of, of treatment. Um, so what do you what do you I'm sure you get it a lot as a mindfulness uh, you know expert. What if you could break down for me like what is mindfulness and then maybe a second like kind of follow up question because a lot of people I think use it synonymously with a term like meditation. And I wonder if you can kind of like parse that out for me and give me a something succinct here. <laughs> something succinct. Well, the most often quoted succinct definition of mindfulness is that it is learning to hold your attention in the present moment without judgment. So that means paying attention to what is happening in your experience right now and very importantly not judging it or criticizing it, criticizing yourself, criticizing others. So just being curious and noticing what is going on right now instead of worrying about what's going to happen next or spending time regretting or replaying what has already happened. So that's that's really the crux of it, just learning to be curiously aware of what's going on right now. Now, meditation is... When you intentionally set aside time to practice the skill of mindfulness. So I think of meditation as the way you practice mindfulness. So you might for five or ten minutes or much longer if you choose, really practice holding your attention in the present, letting go of judgments when your mind wanders, bring it back. But we practice meditation to develop the skill of mindfulness so that we can then take mindfulness into our lives And learn to live mindfully so that we can go through our lives more engaged with what's going on, less burdened by criticisms and judgments, and feeling less stress, but also just a lot more pleasure in what's going on in our life. Yeah, that's excellent uh, as a definition because I think that really, you know, frames it well in terms of at the top you have this overall sort of mindset of what, what you're trying to accomplish there of, you know, trying to live in the present and hold that attention and I think that the second part you mentioned is is the uh, a difficult one in in terms of the not judging um, yourself and people think and then uh, meditation as being like one way to practice mindfulness. Um, so it, if somebody's never tried to do this, they might be like, "Oh, that just seems so like basic." Um, but then I, I know from having tried it, it's extremely difficult. Um, so what what would be what would be the goal here? Like, why would be why would you try to kind of hold your attention in the present? And what has been like found to be, you know, why is this useful? And why would you recommend it to college students? So a couple of things are coming to mind for me right now. First is that it it does definitely sound easy, but it's not. Yeah. Because. We are not conditioned to do this. We are conditioned to be multitasking all the time, to be worrying or planning always what's next, to be replaying and rehashing things that have already happened. So when we try to be present, none of us can do it at first. And that's why we meditate, because it takes a lot of practice to be really non-judgmentally present in your life. And... When I work with students, I really try and get them to see that if you, the first time you sit down and try and watch your mind, you're probably going to feel like, oh, I can't do this or this isn't for me because what you're going to see is that your mind wanders like crazy. 
And I'm always inviting people to see this is not a problem. This is just an observation. This is just what your mind does. And with practice, you get better at noticing that and bringing it back to the present. But the reason you might put time into doing that is is because it has the potential to significantly improve the quality of your life. Um, So there are so many studies about how mindfulness and meditation are helpful. Many of them are health-related, and I find that college students are not as interested in those studies because in my experience, most people in their 20s, you know, they're not worried about their blood pressure. They're not worried about chronic illness. They're not worried about chronic pain because it's just not their experience. They're not dealing with that yet. Mm-hmm. So I find that students are more interested in the research that shows, for example, that even small amounts of mindfulness has been shown to improve test scores on standardized tests quite significantly, as a matter of fact. And even small amounts of mindfulness improve working memory. And working memory is really important to doing well in college. So when you sit down to study and you cram a bunch of information into your head for a test, you're putting all that information in your working memory. That's where you put information so that you can retrieve it and manipulate it and use it. And mindfulness pretty significantly grows working memory. So that's really important for college students. Yeah, those... Uh, Go ahead. Well, and other things like it helps you sleep better, it makes you less anxious, uh, it reduces your um, tendency to have unconscious bias towards other people, which is hugely important, and it increases your resilience, so your ability to bounce back when things don't go so well. Like there's even studies showing that something like uh, getting a bad grade on an exam that a little bit of mindfulness practice helps you put that behind you and move forward much faster. Wow. That's really great. You know? Um, so I know that I, I know from talking to students that they would be very interested in hearing those types of things as well, you know, over the, the health benefits, which I agree, you know, if students in their twenties just might not have that at the forefront of their, you know, priority list and probably don't need to, you know, at that point. Yet. Right. Um, but they do need it for those other types of things. So I'm sure we have students here listening right now thinking, you know, this is something I need to explore a little further. You know, I remember having that thought when I got started getting into yoga a little bit, and I'm going to talk about that in a little while because I think it relates. Um, Are there, what are the different types of techniques that you can use to sort of practice mindfulness? We mentioned meditation, but I have to imagine that there's others that I'm just not thinking about that you recommend to students or that you incorporate into your KORU program. Right. Well, we do incorporate a lot of different techniques in our KORU program simply because not everybody is going to respond to the same thing. Everybody is different, right? So. You know, what we like to do is give students a toolbox of possible mindfulness exercises that they could use, including yoga, and figure out which one works for them. The thing that I think is most important to stress, though, is it is really hard to do this by yourself. Most people who try to do it by themselves are going to give up pretty quickly. It really makes a big difference to have a class And to a point you made earlier, most college campuses these days have some sorts of workshops or classes where you can learn mindfulness, learn meditation, learn yoga. A lot, at least 100 campuses have KORU now, but even campuses that don't are teaching some version of it. Now, I know 
students prefer to do things <laughs> on their own in their own time. And there are certainly lots of good mindfulness and meditation apps that they can use. But again, it's, it's hard to stick with it if you're not uh, doing it with a teacher and with a group. Yeah, I agree. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my experience here because it's it's happening at the same time as sort of we having this conversation, you know, from the first time to the second, especially I, I recently got into yoga and I had really been searching for something athletic, you know, that was my primary driver. Um, because I was so bored of like working out, you know, just by running by myself or doing stuff at home. And I was missing that like sort of social element. And I was like, tried a couple other things and just was like, no, it's not for me. And I started, I've only been doing it about a month, but it, it's made such an improvement. You know, it's given me the the physical, you know, um, activity that I, 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 I initially was looking for. But I have experienced so much of the the mindfulness benefits from yoga. I was uh, flying last week to Las Vegas last Thursday, and I took a class in the morning. And I normally am like sort of a nervous flyer. Like me and my wife never fight, but we we tend to bicker when we travel on airplanes. Um, And I came back from that class and I was like, bringing the calmness with me on the airplane today. (laughs) And I was able to do it. Like I really was so grateful that I had taken that class in the morning because it totally set me up for a smooth flight and we didn't bicker and everything like went smoothly. So, you know, and this is somebody that, you know, I'm not typically very, you know, I don't display a lot of anxiety. I try, I'm pretty good, I think, at bottling up. But like that's one time when it comes out is like flying because I'm just like, ah. And I cannot tell you just like the times when I did start to feel that in me, like I was able to just, you know, center myself and like I didn't have to do any chanting or anything. I think people, you know, worry that it sounds, you know, too, too outside of, you know, tradition. But it's just, you know, returning yourself to that center and and just kind of like recognizing your breathing. And and I I can't tell you how how much of an improvement it's been in my life. See, I really like that story, Derek, because that exemplifies the whole point of these practices, right? So, you know, you go to yoga class and you get benefit for sure. And you sit in meditation and you get benefit while you're doing it for sure. But the real point of it is that you then carry it with you into your life. And when you're in a situation, you access what you've learned. So, you know, for you, you know that this Flying is a bit of a challenge, and so you accessed these skills that you'd been developing because you're going to yoga class. And that's, you know, that's the whole point of it. And I hear stories all the time, almost every day from students who say things like, wow, you know, I went for a run this week, the same run I always go on, and for the first time ever, I noticed that there are trees outside. (laughs) And we all just laughed, you know, and he's laughing at himself like, seriously, I never really looked at him before. And I just felt so happy. So just a little moment like that. But all the time I hear students say, you know, I was I needed to start studying. I felt myself starting to procrastinate. And then I just, you know, used my mindfulness for a minute. And that really helped me get started. Or I started to get in a fight with my roommate. And then I just took a deep breath and realized, you know, I didn't need to say what I was going to say. And things were fine. So it's it's like when you see it and you use it in your life, that's the point. The point isn't that, oh, look, I can sit still for 10 minutes and watch my breath. Yeah. Well said. And um, the, the thing that I think 
I took away from it is that like what you were saying earlier, I couldn't learn this just on my own watching a YouTube video. <laughs> you know, some people, right. you know, you can learn things from, you know, video and from resources online, but it was it's really been you know, going to a lot of different classes, experiencing a lot of different teachers, and and finding that that one really that that I've kind of relate to the most, you know, and kind of will be asking, you know, the the deeper questions too. I'm interested if that's been a similar experience for you, and try to how ha- and how you find your path in terms of like um, your your direction in terms of learning mindfulness. Did you have a, a mentor, and, and what was it like in terms of like finding them? So I do, and I'll tell you about that, but I want to say something about what you just said, because what you just said points at the main difference between learning all of these sort of mind-body practices compared to the way we learn other things. You cannot learn this any other way than experientially. You can't read about it. You can't watch a video about it. You have to practice it. It's this wisdom that arises, this insight that arises from practice. So what I spend all my time doing is trying to convince students to start practicing. Once they practice, they learn it, they get it, there's this this huge aha, kind of like what you're saying with the yoga. It wasn't until you practiced it, then you understand it. But I students are so used to learning by reading or hearing about or seeing things that they'll read about it and go, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that works for me. And I'm like, you can't know that by reading about it. You have to practice it. And that, of course, was my experience. So I um, I was 30 years old and in a period of time where I was having a lot of stress in my life, feeling a lot of anxiety and worry. I was in transition. I had been living abroad. I was coming back to the States. wasn't sure you know, if I was doing the right thing, didn't know exactly where I was going to live. My relationships were all uncertain in that moment because, you know, I was moving across the world. And I came across a book called Mindfulness in Plain English. And I picked it up. I, I was at a bookstore. I saw it. I picked it up. And I picked it up, honestly, because I just didn't know what that meant. Like, I'd never seen the word mindfulness used like that. And I opened it and started flipping through it. And I was intrigued by what the author was saying because he was speaking to my experience in the moment. And he was basically saying, you know, life really can stress you out at times. You can feel really stressed out. But it's not because of what's happening in your life. It's because of how you're relating to it. And if you relate to it differently, it won't stress you out. And I was like, wow, really? I found that pretty hard to believe. But I was intrigued enough that when I got back to North Carolina, which is where I was heading, I found a teacher and started working with him. His name is Jeff Brantley. He's an amazing guy, uh, really experienced and gifted meditation teacher. I joined a weekly sitting group. I started attending retreats, and it wasn't long before I felt like, wow, my life was really transformed. But one of the things Jeff told me was, Holly, you have got to find a group to sit with every week, because if you don't, you will not stick with this. So I took his advice, I found a group, and I sat with that group every week for 25 years. Um, And it was having his leadership and then connecting me with other people who were doing it that allowed me to stick with it. And then what kept me going, though, 
was how amazingly transformed I felt by the experience. I mean, I really did learn that it's not what's happening in my life. It really is the way I relate to it. And that's the secret to happiness right there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. It really does illustrate the, you know, this need of like the focus on practice, you know, and that anything that's worth, you know, <laughs> worth doing, you know, take some time to, to learn. Um, and that, you know, some things are going to feel natural right in the beginning and some won't, but you know, I don't know. You just have to listen to that inner sense. I remember the first, the first class I took, you know, I didn't know anything about what I was doing. And, but I just remember thinking to myself, I know I'm going to be coming back to something like this. You know, like that's the only thought I have, even though it wasn't like I didn't, it didn't feel natural. I, I didn't feel like I, you know, was any good, but I knew that like I would get good eventually. Right. And Derek, that's what's so important. So of course, the first time someone goes to a yoga class, if they've never done anything like it before, they're going to feel awkward. They're not going to be able to do it. And so many people will say, okay, I can't do it and walk away. But you remembered that, oh, this is the first time I've done it. That's why I'm not good at it. So one of my golden rules that I try and get people to do is if you're going to try something new, do it three times before you have a single judgment about it. Any judgment, just let it go. You got to do it three times and then you can start to think about, so what is this like for me? What do you think about that advice? Yeah, I think that's great. I, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to give it a month, you know, because it, it just lined up. It was like, you know, even better, the membership, you know, and I was like, you know, if I, <laughs> if I cancel after a month, it was, you know, easy to, you know, to, to even better. It. So like, yeah, but so you went into it knowing that the first time wasn't going to be the, you know, you weren't going to be a yoga pro when you mm -hmm. came out of the first class. And I, I also kind of thought too, that it would be pretty supportive, like people were going to be laughing, you know, and stuff like that. And it was, it was, you know, of people course. are very encouraging because they were all in that position at one time themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Now that we've convinced everybody that mindfulness is awesome, um, what can we do? Like, how can we use this in goal achievement? So this podcast, you know, the main reason I founded it was to help college students that might be, you know, experiencing trouble with mental health issues, whatever, um, to, to set goals that matter to them and, and work through them. Um, typically, you know, midterm, you know, midpoint. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. Medium term goals, you know, three months or so. So not like the very, very short term ones, but also not the lifelong ones, the ones that sort of fit in a semester. Um, how do you think mindfulness can, techniques can help us in our quest to achieve goals that are important to us in our, in our recovery? Mm. So now we're wading into tricky area here because sort of the essence of mindfulness in these contemplative practices, there's a, there's a huge paradoxical component to them. So for example, one of the important teachings of mindfulness is that the harder you strive after something, the less likely you are to accomplish it. And you increase your chances of accomplishing something if you can just be really present doing your best in any given moment. So the paradox of goal achievement and mindfulness is you have to trust that if you develop your capacity to be focused and present in every moment, then that is going to allow you to achieve your goals. But if you set yourself up 
as, okay, I am going to be focused and present right now so that I achieve this goal, you're interfering with your progress. So with mindfulness, the way I think about it is, no one is going to go to the trouble to sit down, set a timer for 10 minutes, or turn on a guided meditation for 10 minutes if they don't have something they're trying to achieve, right? Like even I, I was getting started. I was stressed out. I didn't want to be so stressed out. So I had that larger goal. But the second you sit down for your 10 minutes of meditation, you have to let your goals go and just be present and open for whatever happens. So the goal is developing the habit of doing this so that you develop the skill so that you can apply it to whatever you're trying to achieve. So I might, like you did, you set the goal of trying yoga for a month and see what happens. So, uh, you know, if you've got some middle-term academic goal you're trying to achieve, like you're trying to be more disciplined or you want to bring your grades up, you could set the goal of seeing if a regular mindfulness practice would help with that and try to meditate four days a week for 10 minutes over the next month. Set yourself reminders, let go of judging whether it's useful or not, and just do it. And see if you're developing the capacity to be more focused and present is helping you with your other goal, your, your middle-term academic goal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I just know that that was a, a fantastic answer. I, I think that maybe that doing this recording a second time was worth it just for that. Um, so <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to make that the focal point of our, we do like a little home exercise, you know, something to take away from the episode at the end of the week. I think that I'm going to relate it to that is like, you know, because usually it's like a stepwise process and like maybe this week it's time to just take a step back and, and kind of reflect on your progress and, you know, not have any judgments about it and just kind of like, you know, regroup or sort it at the midpoint now anyway. Um, right, right. All right. So now let's, uh, as we sort of start to wrap up here, turn our attention to faculty uh, because I know we have faculty listening too. So my question about them is what can faculty do um, both for their own mindfulness needs as well as to support students to be more mindful in their coursework you know, that they're engaged with them with? So this is a great question. And we, we train faculty all over the country, all over the world to teach KORU our mindfulness class. And we meet a lot of faculty who are integrating mindfulness practices, like even just a few minutes of calm breath awareness before class starts, for example, and finding that it really helps their students but the, the most important lesson for faculty is if they want to help their students become more mindful, develop this capacity to be more present and stressed, then they have to embody that themselves. You can't help someone else become more mindful if you yourself aren't developing the practice. So I'm always inviting faculty to develop their own mindfulness practice and of course, not just so they can help students, but to enrich their own lives. And, you know, faculty are stressed out as well. I mean, they all have too much to do. There's too many expectations on them. And when they can start developing their own mindfulness practice, 
their life improves. And their students can see that, and they can begin to share that with their students, and they can embody that and relate to their students differently. And it's transformative for them, and it offers the possibility of being transformative for their students as well. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think I've started to see some of those benefits myself as I've grown, you know, with this in the last couple of months. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, I really appreciate all the, inter- all the uh, info you, you talked about in this interview. Uh, where can people learn more about you and, and sort of the work you're involved with? I know you've mentioned Koru a few times. So we have a website, korumindfulness.org, and the website is mostly for uh, folks who work with college-age adults who would like to learn to teach mindfulness. For students, the best resource is we have an app, a Koru Mindfulness app that has a bunch of guided meditations on it and some other resources for learning mindfulness. And we also have a book called The Mindful 20-something, which is designed to be an introductory guide. So it could be a really good place to start if you're in your 20s and you're wanting to learn mindfulness. And if you're on a college campus, see if there's a Koru class there or nearby. And it's only a four-week commitment. It's four classes. They're going to ask you to practice meditation 10 minutes a day, and they're going to support you while you do that for four weeks and see if it makes a difference. Those sound great. Sound like some really great resources. And uh, I will put some links to all of them in the show notes for today. So if any of you guys out there are interested, check the show notes. You can easily uh, click on those links to find out the information Dr. Rogers is referring to. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. I was happy to do it, Derek. You have a great day. Thanks. I was right, wasn't I? That one uh, was pretty good. I'm really, really grateful to Dr. Rogers for (laughs) lending me her time, not once, uh, but twice for this interview to occur. And as some of you that have followed me for a while know, I've been actually trying to get a um, mindfulness expert on for probably since the first semester, no, probably the second semester that I, I run the podcast. So this one was a long time coming and I think it was worth the wait. Um, So for this upcoming week, uh, I'm just going to get right into it. I don't really have anything else this week. Um, Still trying to play catch up from my uh, amazing weekend in Vegas that I was uh, telling you guys about last week. Uh, It was as awesome as I thought it would be. Uh, And so awesome we ended up staying an extra day. Now it was actually because of bad weather. But uh, yeah, as a result, I'm uh, playing catch up this week. And so uh, I don't really have anything else for you guys. Just want to leave you with with some thoughts on mindfulness and the instructions for your home exercise this week to consider mindfulness. Take a moment from your onward steady progress towards your goals like Dr. Hodgers and I discussed Step back, think about things for a moment, observe where you're at in the goal setting, goal achievement process. Uh, Don't make judgments, um, certainly not negatively, um, but just kind of observe where the process is at, how you're feeling about the process, and uh, what you still need yet to do. And uh, and that's it. So hopefully uh, we are going to be checking in again next week uh, with because that's going to be week 10. And uh, as we have been traditionally doing on the College Student Success Podcast every three weeks or so, so usually around week five and week 10, we check in on goal progress. So, you know, this is a week to kind of pause, uh, 
reflect a little. Uh, if you have some stuff that you have scheduled to get done that, that is going to be uh, progress, great. I don't want to, to say uh, put it off. If you definitely have stuff going on, do it. But um, just maybe try and take some of these strategies away that we talked about this week in a quest to sort of quiet our minds, center ourselves, not be so hard on ourselves when uh, we're struggling with you know so many other things, whether it be schoolwork, deadlines, uh work work you know if you are earning you know need to earn money on the side as well as go to school raising children whatever it is that are your burdens currently um, you are managing them you are getting to school you are you know doing a lot of the things that you need to do if you are listening to the podcast chances are you probably want to be doing better and I think mindfulness and yoga and you know some of the different strategies we talked about this uh, this interview meditation uh, can lead a, a long way, lead us a long way in the right direction, and and I'm I'm proof. Uh, I am really doing you know the things that I'm talking about, and uh, the yoga thing I really think is working out for me for the best. So, with that, have a kick-ass week, everybody. Uh, make sure you're killing it in your classes, in your goals, in your mental health, in your life. Send me an email. Let me know what's up. Tweet at me, Facebook me, whatever you do. Uh, I love to hear from you guys. So, otherwise, I'll be back next week. Take care. Peace.